Hey guys. Oh, whoa. Awesome. Hey, so be before we jump into the sermon from Steve this morning, October is Pastor's Appreciation Month. So, uh, yeah, let's give him a round of applause. Thank you guys. <laughs> and so we just want to take a quick minute this morning to really acknowledge and appreciate both Rolly and Steve. Um, I think you guys know just their love for this church and for all of you guys um, and just all the work that them and their family kind of puts in um, to serve us and to equip us here. Uh, I think we know, you know, God designed his church to um, equip all of us in this community to serve together, right? And I think it's awesome that we all get to be a part of this. But I think there's something to be said about acknowledging and appreciating um, just the leaders that serve us uh, day in and day out and invest in us. I mean, it's not just the, the awesome worship and the preaching of the word, but really the little things that these two guys do uh, day in and day out um, to really create a space for us where we can be real, where we can have community um, we're a culture where we can get excited about the good news of Jesus and what it means to love God and love others and to be in his kingdom of right relationships. I think these guys go a long way in creating that space for us and also um, being an example of that for us, right? So I just wanted to say thank you guys. And it's not just your leadership, but I think also you guys are decently fun to be around. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, thank you guys both so much. We have a really small kind of token of our appreciation for you guys here. Um, the bags are ridiculous because they're the only bags that I could find that had a cactus on it for you, Rolly. So, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's right. Their names are on one of them. Okay, cool. Awesome. And then uh, we just want to pray for you guys real quick, and then we'll kind of, we'll get off the stage and Steve can preach. <laughs> Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you so much for um, both Steve and Roly, Lord. Um, I thank you for your, your calling in their life and their obedience and faithfulness, Lord, to, to dedicate their careers to um, serving you, to investing in your people um, in this church here. We have been so blessed by them, Lord, um, not just by uh, their leadership, but by just them as people and having them as part of this community. Um, Lord, we are so excited um, for what you have in store for them ahead, Lord, um, both Steve here and Roly in Arizona, Lord. And we pray, God, that you would continue to be with them every step of the way in the journey, Lord. And we know sometimes leadership can be uh, lonely, and so we just pray that you would be with them and that you would bring people alongside them. And God, we pray for us right here as a community, Lord, that we would um, be an answer to that prayer, that we would come alongside and that we would truly be a family on mission, Lord. Um, we thank you, Lord, that you have called us um, as one body um, to follow you together. And we thank you just for these couple of brothers, Lord, that you bless us with um, and their amazing heart um, for us and for you, God. So we thank you, Lord. Would you be with them and their families, Lord, and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Another round of hands. All right, well, that was totally unscripted. Uh, normally, we don't just let people run up on stage and grab the microphone. But that was worth it. That was good. <laughs> I didn't know that Pastor Appreciation Month was a thing. Um, but this year has been really good to me. I, I've gotten donuts and lunch and a carrot cake and now whatever's in the unicorn bag. So hopefully that's, that's as exciting as the other stuff. Uh, but anyway, thank you guys for that. Again, totally uh, not prepared for that moment, but that's, uh, that's pretty fun and special. Uh, thank you guys for making it here. I know this morning is sort of extra challenging with the wind, and some of you have lost power, and there's um, you know, like tree branches everywhere. Uh, pretty crazy um, what's going on out there. So I thought we would begin this morning um, just sort of praying uh, for safety and uh, things like that, and then we'll uh, go ahead and get into our conversation here. So join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do... Um, 
recognize that uh, the weather and the elements this morning are out of the ordinary. And uh, for some people here in our community, that's been, um, uh, has a direct impact on us. Uh, we also know of people, friends and relatives in other parts of the state who have been without power for a while, who have had to evacuate, who are uh, concerned about uh, the, the potential for a fire. God, we pray for uh, safety. Uh, we pray for peace, um, that this uh, storm would pass through without any significant damage being done. Um, Father, now as we turn our attention to Scripture, in some ways this is a great metaphor for the morning. Would you help us to be here, present in this room now? Whatever is going on around us, outside of here, would you hold those things for us for a few moments so that we are free to hear from you and to respond in the ways that we need to respond today? Speak to us, God, through your word. May we be able to hear your voice now as we open up scripture and continue this conversation together. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. All right, um, if you have a Bible, open with me to Acts chapter 1. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and someone on our team would love to come around and make sure that you have a physical copy of the Bible. You can also follow along on the screen, on the app, um, on your phone, whatever uh, works best for you. As you're looking for that, I want to begin today uh, by talking about one of the big news pieces of the last week. This is a, a big news piece, at least for me. I'm, I'm guessing, though, for most of us, this is something that sort of flew under the radar. But this last week, one of the greatest athletes in America retired. All right, Her name is Shalane Flanagan. She's a fantastic distance runner. And, and her career began back in 2003-2004 at the University of North Carolina. I think there might be a few Tar Heels over there. There they are. Um, she won the National <clears throat> Cross-Country Championship in 2003-2004, then she turned pro, got signed by Nike, and then ran in the next four Olympic Games. In 2008, she won the silver medal in the 10,000 meters. She set the American record in the process. And then after that Olympic Games, she made this, the, the, this career switch from uh, sort of middle distances to running marathons. She ran the marathon at the 2012 and 2016 Olympic Games, finishing ninth and then sixth. And then probably her biggest achievement in her running career occurred in 2017 when she won the New York City Marathon, the first American woman to win the New York Marathon in 40 years. She ran it uh, in a time of two hours, 26 minutes, and 53 seconds, which is fast, okay? <laughs> now, after winning that race, a, a, a journalist from the New York Times wrote this great uh, piece about her, and, and it was a great chronicling of just her career in general, but also what the author of the article calls the Shalane Effect, and, and this is a very interesting uh, thing to me. Okay, in 2009, when she made that shift from being a middle distance runner to a marathon runner, she not just made you know, that sort of change, she also changed the way in which she trained uh, for her events. Now, the classic approach to distance running and to training is that you are kind of on your own logging the miles day after day. And yes, you have a coach and other people that speak into that, but for the most part, it's just sort of you and the road uh, making sure that you get your training done. But Shalane, with her background in track and field, knew that wasn't going to work for her. And so she started to recruit other athletes to train with her. 
And she began to invest in their success as well as her own. Okay, here's one of the highlights from this article. Krauss writes, Perhaps Flanagan's bigger accomplishment lies in nurturing and promoting the rising talent around her. A rare quality in the cutthroat world of elite sports. Every single one of her training partners, 11 women in total, has made it to the Olympics while training with her. An extraordinary feat. Call it the Shalane effect. You serve as a rocket booster for the careers of the women who work alongside you while catapulting forward yourself. Now here at Discovery, Shalane Flanagan is a great example of what we would call a hero maker. Someone who has made the shift from being focused on their own self to becoming, and I love the language of the article, becoming a rocket booster for others. Now I want you to hold that in your minds for a minute. We're going to come back to that in just a second, but let's remember where uh, we are, the broader context of this conversation, right? We've been in a series for a couple of weeks now called Our Kind of Crazy, which is our, our sort of fun way, tongue-in-cheek way of getting at the idea of culture. Culture comes from the truth that anytime you get a group of people together, whether that's a, a, a segment of your office at work, whether that's a family, whether that's a sports team, when you get people together, they will develop their own kind of crazy, their own culture. Now, our definition of culture that we've been working with here for the past several weeks is a shared way of doing something with a passion. Culture is a shared way of doing something with a passion. And we have said over and over again that our something is our mission, helping people discover the good news of Jesus. This is the thing that we do with a passion, helping people discover the good news of Jesus. Now, the shared way in which we go about doing this, this gets into this conversation about our values. And over the last couple of weeks, we have looked at each of our core values, relationships, authenticity, joy. And now today we turn our attention to the fourth of those, this value of multiplication. We have hashtags that, that sort of help us illuminate or get to the, uh, the idea behind the idea with these values. For relationships, we talk about being better together. For authenticity, we talk about we're a church for the rest of us. For joy, we talk about fun is spiritual. And here, for multiplication, again, this idea of hero maker is the idea behind the idea. Okay, so this is where we're going. This gives you a little bit of context. Now, I, I told you to meet me in Acts chapter 1, but we're actually going to begin in a different spot in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is a letter that was written by a guy named Paul. Paul is... Uh, one of the greatest hero makers recorded in scripture. He invested in tons of people, planted churches all over the world. And here in 2 Corinthians, he's writing a letter to one of these churches that he helped to plant. This is a young church. It's in a multicultural urban context, the city of Corinth. And one of the things that Paul does for this church in both of the letters that he writes to them is to remind them of their core identity. And in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul goes into this great reminder of the mission that the Corinthian church was given, and really the mission that all of us as Jesus followers are given. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back 
to God. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Now, you can have, I think, a really great late-night dorm sort of philosophical conversation about whether or not that is a good plan. Like us? You're making your appeal through us? But this is the plan, central to God's plan for reconciling the world to himself is us, is you and me. We are his ambassadors. Now, of course, Jesus is so central to the whole thing, right? He is the hero of the story. And it's his life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, how that all fits into the the big story that God is telling in the world. So central to what the good news is all about. But still, he entrusts the mission of getting this good news out into the world to us. We speak for Christ. We are his ambassadors. And again, this is the plan. There is no other plan. Now, the way that this plan works is through the multiplication of these ambassadors, the multiplication of disciples, people who invest in people, who invest in people, who invest in people, and on it goes. So now, to Acts chapter 1, I want to help help us begin to see how this works, and we're going to be all over the book of Acts this morning, but we begin here in chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Now, the I here is a guy named Luke. Luke was a historian and a doctor. He set out to write an orderly account of the life of Jesus, and this is what we now know as the book of Luke or the gospel according to Luke. So this is part two of that story. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Here Jesus still teaching his team about the kingdom of God even after his resurrection. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, and John here is John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus, who helps prepare the way for Jesus' life and ministry. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I love the disciples so much. Even now, three years into it, They've seen the death and resurrection of Jesus. They've spent 40 days with the resurrected Jesus. He's continued to teach them about the kingdom of God. They still don't get it. These are the people that Jesus says, uh, you are going to change the world. He says to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then pay attention to this. You will be my witnesses. You will be my ambassadors in Jerusalem but not just there, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, so many great things to talk about in this scene, but the thing I want us to focus on is this. Imagine being one of those 11, and actually if you read down a couple more verses to verse 15, there was 120 people who were a part of this first church. Imagine being one of those 120 people and thinking, how are we going to go from Jerusalem 
to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. How are we going to be witnesses, ambassadors, all that way? Now, the sneaky church answer here might be to say, well, you know, the Holy Spirit is going to do it. And, of course, there's truth to that. But notice that Jesus doesn't say that. He says, you will be my witnesses. Yes, with the power of the Holy Spirit on you, but you are the ones. You are the ambassadors. The only way this is going to work is if you take your good news and invest it in someone who will invest it in someone who will invest it in someone, and on it goes. This multiplication chain reaction. Now, up on the screen here, there should be this chart. For those of you who love charts and math, um, hopefully you can see this. This is, you've probably seen something like this in a stats class or a math class, but on the left-hand side, you have what it looks like to grow a dollar using the addition principle, right? One dollar to three dollars to six dollars, and then at the end of 30 days, you would have $465, all right? Then the column on the right is taking that same dollar and growing it through the process of multiplication. At the end of 30 days, you would have 265, and the number here is nanillion. I'd never even heard of that before. Like, I don't even know if that's a real thing. So somebody who knows math will have to explain that to me later. But obviously, if you had to choose between $465 and 265 nanillion dollars, which one are you going to pick? Nanillion. Good, good. <laughs> and then tithe to your church. Always, always good to have a tithing joke in there. Now, obviously, the multiplication principle, it, it, you know, there's, there's math behind it. There's some weight to it. But sometimes when we start talking about this kind of stuff, we can get a little squishy, right? Like, why are we talking about numbers in church? This feels too much like, like business. This is not spiritual enough. Jesus, though, had a very tangible goal. And the book of Acts does not shy away from numbers at all. In fact, numbers keep popping up all throughout the book. So we've already seen that there's 120. And then uh, later in Acts chapter 2, and this is a text that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, the Holy Spirit does come on these guys. Peter stands up, gives this great sermon, and 3,000 people join the movement that day. And then from there, the ball really gets rolling. Acts 2.47, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts 4.4, a lot of people who had heard the message believed it. And so by now, there were about 5,000 followers of the Lord. Acts 6.1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. Acts 9.31, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Pay attention to the geography here. The church enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Acts 12, 24, the word of God increased and look at this word, it multiplied. Acts 16, 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith. Now we're talking about multiple churches and grew daily in numbers. Acts 19.20, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And then here is how Luke ends the story. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. This is from the same guy, Paul, who wrote that letter to the Corinthians. For two whole years, Paul stayed there. There here is Rome. 
in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God. This connects us all the way back to Acts chapter 1 and what Jesus taught those 11 apostles. Proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now we end here. This last verse doesn't really kind of get at the numbers thing, but the geography is important. Paul is in Rome. And he's speaking, teaching about the kingdom of God, speaking about Jesus, the good news of Jesus with boldness and without hindrance. For Luke, Rome was the ends of the earth. And for him, writing at that moment, there was this sense of like, we might be getting really close to having accomplished the mission. The mission, of course, goes back to Matthew chapter 28, Jesus' final words, go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. Great leaders, in the words of Jim Collins, he wrote a book called Good to Great. He talks about uh, the importance of leaders challenging people, calling people to big challenges. He has this little acronym called BHAGs. Okay? Big, hairy, audacious goals. Okay, Jesus had the ultimate BHAG. Go to the ends of the earth and make disciples of all nations. Now again, imagine being one of those original people sitting there, that, that 120, hearing, okay, this is what we're going to do, guys. We're going to go make disciples, uh, starting here in Jerusalem, then we're going to go ju- to Judea, Samaria, and then we're going to go to the ends of the earth. Okay, that's what we're going to do. You guys ready? Uh, imagine being in that position and hearing that for the first time. We live in a world where we can get on a plane and we can fly to just about any other part of the world. We also have people right now who are working on getting human beings to Mars. But for these original 120, Samaria was the ends of the earth. Like even thinking about going that far was like, oh my gosh, how are we even going to get there? And so when Jesus says you're going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, it's like, oh, wait a minute. Like he might as well have been saying, you guys are going to go to Mars. This was an audacious, insane thing to say to these people. And here's the reality. You don't go from 120 people sitting in a little room uh, somewhere in Jerusalem to thousands of people across the Middle East and the Mediterranean worshiping Jesus in these churches without some serious multiplication happening. Okay, these were hero-making experts. Now to get at what this looks like for us, I want to spend a few minutes talking about discipleship, talking about a couple of analogies that I think are helpful for us in this conversation. Over the last year and a half, we've talked about discipleship here as the process of formation. And we've said every single one of us is being discipled. By something. We're being formed into some way of life, whether we are intentional about it or not. For those of us who, who, who are here and who have committed to following Jesus, what we have said is we are committed to being discipled, formed into Jesus' way of life. Which is to say we are being formed into and for this mission discipled into the way of sharing the good news of Jesus. Michael Frost says it this way. I love this quote. All disciples of Jesus, not just a select few, 
All disciples of Jesus are called to an ongoing, risky, actional, extravagant way of life. This is the faith that is willing to leap into service of his unfurling reign in the world, believing that we are partnering with Jesus in the cosmic project for the regeneration of all things. That's a quote. Partnering with Jesus in a cosmic project for the regeneration of all things. Every disciple is invited to be a part of this good news mission. Now next week we're going to get more into uh, the, the details of what the discipleship process will look like here uh, at Discovery. But for now, I want to give us just again two analogies that I think help us uh, uh, frame where we're going with this, where we hope that people go uh, as they grow uh, as followers of Jesus. So first analogy is a parenting analogy. The widely approved goal of parenting is to raise a, a relatively well-adjusted, healthy kid who can go off and, and be on their own. If you're a college student and, and you're here, your parents did it, right? They got you out of their house. <laughs> now, that's a great goal, okay? It's, it's a good goal, but I would argue that there's actually a whole other step beyond that. The true goal of parenting is not just to get you to be able to take care of yourselves. It's not just to get your kids out of your house. The goal is to raise a human being who can take care of other human beings. Now, what I'm saying here is not that the goal is to become a parent and have your own family. I don't think that's the ultimate goal of life. But to be a mature human being, to be a mature disciple of Jesus is to be a person who is oriented towards loving and serving other people. Now, if that analogy doesn't work for you, let me try another one, okay? When I was in college, there was this place in, in, in Stockton called Viva Burrito, and, and um, I went there all the time. I don't even want to know how much money I spent there when I was in college. Uh, and so I go there, you know, with all kinds of different um, groups of people. One night I was there, um, uh, this was after I'd become a Christian and had uh, joined a campus fellowship. I was standing next to my campus minister, Jerry Haraguchi, and uh, we're talking about our week, catching up or whatever, and he gets to the front of the line and he places his order. And, and then he turns to me and he says, Steve, wh what do you want? I, I, I got this. And, and, you know, I'm like, sweet. Uh, Someone's going to pay for my burrito. This is fantastic, right? College student, free food, this is a good thing. So anyway, he, he orders me a burrito, and I think that's a wonderful thing. And then a, a, a week later, two weeks later, might have been the next day, who knows. We're back there, and at, once again, I find myself sort of in line close to Jerry. This time, I get to the front of the line first, and so I think, oh, man, I'm going to repay the favor. And, and so I get up there, and I order my thing, and I say, I got, I, I got whatever, whatever my friend Jerry wants. And he looks at me, and he says, no. I was like, what? Like, I, I'm offering to buy you food. Like, why would you say no? It's kind of offended me. And he pulled me aside afterwards and he said, look, I did not buy you a burrito so that someday in the future you would return the favor and, and buy me one. He says, I, I did that for you so that at some point you would do the same thing for someone else. This is what I call the burrito model of discipleship. I think this is really important because so often this 
conversation about discipleship is reduced to self-help. It's about how do I get better at, at doing like Christian things? How do I get better at reading my Bible or understanding doctrine? And, and those are good things, right? We should be pursuing those things. But that's not really discipleship. That's just learning more stuff. And again, learning is an important and wonderful thing. But discipleship is go make another disciple. Go and invest in other people. Share your good news. Speak life into others. Call greatness out of other people. Be a rocket booster launching people into mission. At the risk of, of overdoing the analogy, the mission moves forward when Jerry buys a burrito for Steve, who buys a burrito for Rolly, who buys a burrito for Amanda, and on it goes. Are you with me? It's one of the most important lessons I've learned in ministry was, you know, at midnight at Viva Burrito in Stockton, California. God can move anywhere. <laughs> you have a story. You have gifts. You have talents and abilities and experiences. Share them. Share them. Take what you know. Invest it in someone else. Now, essential to this for us, we want to be a permission-giving community. I think sometimes there's this sense of like, oh, I need, uh, I need like the pastor to approve it or I need Discovery's you know, stamp on it in order for it to be a thing. Now, for some things, sure, there are proper ch channels that you, know, you go through. But for the most part, if you have an idea or a leading or a prompting, we want you to just do it. Go for it. You want to have college students over for dinner? Do it. You want to serve the homeless? Go for it. You want to build relationships with a particular group of people? Get to know artists, skateboarders, whatever. Go and do that. We want to release you into mission, in service of Jesus' unfurling reign in the world. Now, one of our core practices for this process, a core hero-making practice, is what we call the I see in you conversation. I see in you. This is a, a very cheesy way of, of getting at, I see something in you. Jesus did this all the time. Peter, I see in you the rock on which I am going to build my church. John, my beloved friend, I see in you someone whose writings are going to inspire millions of people to believe in me. Mary Magdalene, I see in you someone whose story of transformation is going to help so many people discover the good news. In fact, everywhere my story is told, your story is going to be told. I've had so many people do this for me. Steve, I see this in you. You can do this. Go for it. And my hope and prayer is that you have had some of those people in your life as well. People who have spoken into you, who have called out things that you did not even know was there. Our hope is that this becomes reflexive for us here at Discovery. So this week, one challenge is to do this. Who in your life needs you to speak some life into them? Is it your kids? Is it a coworker? Is it someone in your Discovery group? Have an I see in you conversation with them. The tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue has the power of life and death. Speak life into people. 
I went to a conference this past week for a couple days. It was, it was you know, a great time, but I, I always go to these things, and I sit there, and I, I wonder, like, how did they pick this person? Why, why did they pick this particular person to be on stage and to give this presentation? And, and one of the reasons why I have that question is because I know so many people who are doing amazing things for the kingdom of God all over the world who are never going to get invited to speak at one of these conferences. And one of the first people that comes to mind is, is my friend Rick Harper. Rick is my hero-making hero. He's uh, been in campus ministry at Georgia Tech for about 30 years, and he is just a total hick from Georgia. And he would not at all object to that characterization. He, uh, he cusses like a sailor, and he usually has like a big wad of dip in his lower lip. And then the worst part is he has this cup in his hand all the time that he's spitting into. It's like the most disgusting thing that you have ever seen. But Rick is an ambassador. And he speaks life into people everywhere he goes. He is the Yoda of the ICNU conversation. I asked him to send me a picture. And he sent me these, these three pictures that should be up here. This is Rick doing weddings, and he said he wanted me to show these because he looks good in a suit, so we can all admire him in a suit. But here's one of the reasons why he sent these particular pictures. You know, I'm going to use some Christianese here for a moment, but sometimes we talk about the fruit of a ministry, like what is produced uh, by this particular community. This campus ministry has seen over 300 couples get married, only two divorces. That's amazing to me. They've planted new campus ministries on several other campuses in the South. They've started an experimental college ministry called Bread, which is a, a coffee house, hospitality-based ministry serving students in Atlanta and Oxford and Boston. And they launched a, a global outreach called Global Scope that is now on uh, 13 major international campuses in 10 different countries all over the world. We're actually a part of this story uh, in a small way. We support the Global Scope team in Uruguay called La Ruta. David and Claudia Osa doing amazing work with students in South America. All because this crazy guy who dips and cusses too much spoke so much life into college students that they didn't know any better than to go all over the world sharing the good news of Jesus. Just amazing stuff. Now, this is not just uh, aspirational. This is not just good things that are going on other places. Multiplication, hero-making is happening here at Discovery. And I wanted to, to invite some folks up to the stage with me to share a little bit about this process. So I'm going to have two sets of group leaders come on up. So Ian, Aki, and Jeff and Kyle, Val, and Kay can join me on the stage. Let's give them a hand as they make their way up here. As they make their way up, um, frame the moment here for just a second. How about you guys go over, over here? So uh, these folks over here uh, came to Discovery a little bit over a year ago and, and 
pretty quickly jumps into um, leading one of our discovery groups. And that group over the course of the year has grown and flourished in a bunch of amazing ways to the point where this spring they started to pack out their apartment. And so we begin a conversation about like, oh, we're running out of room. What do we do? And so what would it look like to launch another group out of that group? And around that time, Kyle and Val got connected um, uh, to their group and kind of heard this conversation going on and said, hey, we would love to be a part of helping start a new group. And I'd been talking to Kay for a while about uh, uh, leading groups, and so it felt like a good kind of combination to put them together. So what I, I've asked them to do is to reflect on this experience a little bit, and they're going to share uh, what that has been like. So I'm going to start over here with this group. I think Ian's going to answer this question, but tell us a little bit about how your group got started and what the experience has been like over this past year. Awesome. Yeah, so uh, like Steve said, we started coming to Discovery a little over a year ago, and our group really started uh, just because of a need. There was a need for a Wednesday night discovery group. Our friend David Croft uh, uh, was very busy at the time and could only make Wednesday nights and there wasn't a group for him. And so, um, you know, kind of like what Steve was just sharing about uh, discovery being a place uh, that's permission giving, uh, we had only been coming to discovery for a little over a month and, you know, got th that opportunity to launch a new group uh, with Jeff. And so we just jumped at that, I think, for for both of us and for Jeff as well. Um, it's just really on our heart to have a space where people can you know, help discover the good news of Jesus. And I think for us as a couple, like we've always wanted our home to be that. And so it was, yeah, just an awesome opportunity. So for the second part of the question, I think what the first year has been like, I think the first thing I would say is just a lot of fun. Like, um, <laughs> Definitely the fun is spiritual. Uh, it happens a lot in our apartment, and it's, it's a great time. I think the other part um, is really just the community aspect. I think, you know, starting a new group, you don't really know what it's going to be like. You don't know who's going to show up to your house and uh, how everything is going to go and how people are going to connect. But um, the, this year has been so fun to just see a group of people, none of whom really knew each other very well, kind of come together and really feel like a family within one year. Um, and that's been, that's been the best part, I think, is having those relationships um, where we can, um, you know, be real and be open about what's going on and just help each other um, in any way, whether it's just meeting tangible needs. Just think of a lot of awesome ways that, you know, different group members have helped each other out. Um, and then, you know, getting to have those conversations about what's really going on and to walk with each other through that um, has been super special, so, yeah. Great, and then uh, for you guys, Kyle, uh, tell us a little bit about how your group got started and what you guys have seen so far, and it's been, what, a month now? Yeah, about that. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'll give a little bit of context. So uh, my wife, Valerie, and I moved from North Carolina um, end of June, and we had a really strong church community and small group back home um, that we had developed over many years. And so our first priority coming to Davis was find a church and find a small group, which for many of you who might be new to Davis or were new at some point, I feel like that's probably a challenge that you went through as well. And it takes time and it, it's something you work towards. And so when we found Ian, Jeff, and Aki's group, we were really blessed and super happy to get plugged in um, and be a part of their group. Um, and we were part of their group for a couple months and then this conversation started about multiplication and what does it look like for that group to multiply. Um, 
and when we started talking about that, I think God really spoke to us and showed us that our community back in North Carolina, our small group, was such an important foundation of our lives, um, not only just to have weekly um, time to walk through, you know, the teachings of the Bible with another group, but also just the unity of Christ that developed strong relationships. We really saw that play out in our life and um, just how it brought us joy and, you know, just to, to be able to develop those relationships. And so thinking about that, I think we saw it as an opportunity to be able to create that space and, and build that strength of relationship for other people that don't have those groups. Um, and so it, it was a way of kind of transitioning from what we saw as being really impactful in our lives to then how do we, how do we provide this to um, other people? And so um, not long after that conversation started, we, we started kind of moving forward with, well, what does it look like for us to lead a group and really be able to provide this for other people? Um, and, and God pushed us to do that. I don't think that was an easy thing to just jump into. I think it took some time and reflection. Um, but our focus has really been how can we form new bonds within the church and also provide space for um, classmates or colleagues or strangers to be able to come in to a group setting and really develop those um, authentic um, and deeper relationships. So it's been a huge blessing for us. I think oftentimes, and I thought this in the beginning, that small group leaders are people who know everything about the Bible and are there to, to be an extension of Steve and kind of teach what the Bible says. And that's certainly not true for me. I think um, it's been, it's grounded me to really continue my weekly walk with, with God and, and continue my quiet time and things like that. So um, if nothing else, it's been great structure for myself as, um, as well as developing those relationships. And so um, we decided to partner with Kay and kind of move forward in uh, what God was calling us to do and just be faithful in that step. Awesome. Then, uh, Kay, um, have you tie this all together for us? Uh, <laughs> It's not, I think the, like, the hero maker language is sort of weird and new for a lot of people. So in, in your own words, how would you describe what it means to be a hero maker? Oh, man. Yeah. Um, I think speaking of past appreciation week, so the reason why I'm even leading here was because I was only about, I'm only a year here in Discovery, so I still feel like I'm new in a lot of ways. Um, but it was a couple months into Discovery, Pastor Steve uh, put me aside and He's like, hey, I think you'd be really great if you led a small group in the next coming quarter. And I'm like, I don't know, Pastor Steve. Like, I don't know anybody. Like, no one's going to come. I don't think I'm ready. Um, but he was really encouraging, and now I'm here. And we have an awesome small group who just really brings Southern hospitality come to life. Like, I, like abundance of food, abundance of prayer and hugs. And I'm like, this is just a lot, and I'm so glad that I'm here. Um, so when you think when you're talking about hero-making, it starts off with an invitation um, to come and do something, and then starts with seeing a potential in someone to really go at it. Um, so I think either for their group or for our group, there's just so much potential, and we're just running along with it. Um, and hopefully when we continue to build relationship within ourselves, we can uh, build a horizon and see a potential in other people and see where it goes from there. Cool. Well, thank you guys again. Let's give them a hand. <laughs> Both of those groups, some of my favorite 
stories of the last couple months here at Discovery. If you're not connected to a group, by the way, those are six people that you now know and can talk to about what it looks like to get uh, plugged in. Uh, our groups are always open and, and um, welcoming of new people. So again, if you're not connected in that way, now's a great time to do that. All right, I uh, want to close where we started. All right, Shalane Flanagan, in her retirement announcement, wrote this. She said, I'm well aware that retirement for professional athletes can be an extremely hard transition. I'm lucky, as I know already, that coaching will bring me as much joy and heartache that my own running career gave me. And that's what she's going to do now is coach runners. I believe we are meant to inspire one another. We are meant to learn from one another. Sharing everything I've learned about and from running is what I am meant to do now. Sharing everything that she's learned. Shalane is an ambassador for running. How much more should we be ambassadors for the good news of Jesus? So the challenge this week is to begin thinking about this and to take the step of speaking life into someone. Have that I see in you conversation with someone that you know. This is where movement begins. This is how multiplication starts. This is where hero makers are born. Someone sees something in someone else. Someone takes something that they've experienced and invests it in someone else. We are Christ's ambassadors. And he is making his appeal through us. Let's pray. Father, we uh, begin our response by confessing that way too often we are focused on ourselves. And we are uh, uh, thinking about um, what's going on in our own process more than uh, investing in other people. And that can be a big shift for us to take. And, and so God, we, uh, again, confess that, that uh, self-centeredness and ask that you would continue to change our hearts, grow our capacity uh, to love and serve other people. Father, I pray that discovery would be a place where life is spoken into people all the time, where greatness uh, is called out of people all the time, where, where we take seriously this call to be a hero maker, to be a disciple maker, to be uh, investing in other people, the things that we have experienced, the good news that we know and have a hold of. May we be open-handed with that, sharing that with, uh, with others. Father, I pray that you would make clear to us who, who, where this needs to begin, who we need to speak life into even this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.